And it's on that Sunday when they take their garments off and they take their palms and they spread them before Messiah as he comes through and they shout, hail him, hail him, hail him. They will cry out Psalm 118, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in Daniel 9:24, that verse of Scripture that begins to outline the 70 weeks of prophecy of Daniel. We've already seen the period this time frame includes, the people it incorporates, the purpose for it, and today, as Dr. Brogy moves into verse 25, we're able to ascertain the exact time the decree addressed in this verse began based on a passage from Nehemiah chapter 2. Now, if you read your Old Testament, remember the decree had not yet been written. They're away in Babylon. They're going to go back uh, to Israel, to Jerusalem, and a number of decrees with their going back are written. The first three are found in the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 1, Cyrus who has actually prophesied 150 years before he's born by name, which is, again, why the liberals hate Isaiah as well. Cyrus comes to the throne, and he says, go back and build your temple for your God. That's the decree that's written of in Ezra chapter 1. Later on, Darius is on the throne, a guy named Darius, different Darius from the one in the book of Daniel. And in Ezekiel 6, he says, go back because not all the Jews at first went back and build your temple for your God. Then a guy named Artaxerxes comes to the throne. Artaxerxes is kind of like a title, like president, uh, as much as it is a name. And in 457 BC, he says, go back, build your temple, refurbish it, make it really nice. But then there's only one decree that is given, and it's found in the book of Nehemiah, and it concerns not the rebuilding of the temple, but it concerns the rebuilding of the city. In Nehemiah 1, when Nehemiah gets a report as to the state of the city, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And then when you step into chapter 2, God gives an answer to Nehemiah's prayer. Let me read Nehemiah 2, beginning in verse 1. So it came about in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Now, King Artaxerxes, it's a firm date, not just in biblical history, but in secular history. He began reigning in 465 B.C. So counting backwards, because this is before Christ, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign would make it 445 B.C. So it came about in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And Nehemiah says, then I was very much afraid. Why? Because to come into the king's presence and to reign on his party with a sad, droopy face could cost you potentially your life. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. 
Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. He, 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 he just shoots up this prayer gram to God. I said to the king, if it please the king, knowing that the king's heart is in the hand of God, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tomb, that I may rebuild it. Now, we're going to see in a moment that it took a long time to rebuild the city, but Nehemiah plays a very important role. What they had not been able to do for 90 years, he does in 52 days. He rebuilds the walls, which are absolutely essential to the rebuilding of the city because the walls are walls of defense that would allow them to rebuild the city. And we're told here in verse 1 that this happened in the month Nisan in the 20th year of Kings Artaxerxes. And we know from secular history that all decrees by kings were always done on the first day of the month. So you could say Nisan 1, 445 BC. In our Julian calendar, that would be March 14th. 445 BC. That's the starting date of the 70 weeks. And in case you are interested, the date is not simply fixed by Nehemiah, it is fixed by secular history. 20 years ago, when I sought to teach this passage, and I don't feel like I did a very good job, but nonetheless, I did the best I could at that time, and I brought in with me to the service a uh, encyclopedia, the Encyclopedia Britannica. You know, I bought a set of encyclopedias at a yard sale in Texas before we moved here for $5 for one reason, because I wanted the second volume, because I knew what was in it. And I brought it in and I showed the people, I still remember the page, volume two, page 660, and it affirms the year that Artaxerxes began his reign. And so this is a clear year. The 20th year is Nisan 1, 445 B.C. Okay, that's the commencement of the count. You with me? All right, good. Let's consider, secondly, the construction of the city. The construction of the city. Verse 25, so you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks, seven sevens, 49 years, and 62 weeks. Now, as you work through this prophecy, remember there are three parts. And by the time we're done, I think this will be very clear to you. The first part is seven sevens, or seven weeks, or 49 years, because we're dealing here with weeks of years. The second part is 62 sevens, or 62 weeks, or 434 Hebrew years. And the third part is one seven, or one week, what we refer to as the tribulation period. So in verse 25 here, we find two time frames, as this slide illustrates. The first is 49 years. God says, first of all, a decree would be written to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, and it would take 49 years. And that is exactly what secular history records. When Artaxerxes issued the command to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, it took 49 years to complete the project. And in spite of all the devil 
could do to try to stop it because it would be done in great difficulty, the Bible says, and you can read about that in Nehemiah and Ezra at the starting point. God did just as he said, just as he spoke through the angel Gabriel. So there's the commencement of the count. There's the construction of the city. Third, there's the coming of the Christ, the coming of the Christ. Let's keep reading here in verse 25. From the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until, the, until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So we're told precisely that from the issuing of a decree, which King Artaxerxes made, until the coming of Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. What's seven plus 62? 69. So we're talking about 69 sevens. And so as this chart shows, 62 weeks later, God predicts that Messiah the Prince will come. So you can start counting from the issuing of the decree to rebuild and restore the city. That took 49 years. You add 62 weeks or 483 years to that, and you come up with this number of years of 483 years. So if you take the decree, as we'll see in a moment, written in 445 BC, it will take you to 32 AD. Question, how do you suppose the wise men from the East, who I believe probably no doubt were descendants of descendants of descendants of wise men who were saved during the time of Daniel. Remember, Daniel saved all the wise men from his ability, all the magi in his day, from his ability to interpret the dream because the king was going to kill every one of them. Don't you think some of them became believers? I have no doubt. And some of their kids and some of their kids and some of their kids. And of course, from the east would put him in Babylon. How do you suppose that these wise men knew that it was the timing of the Messiah, especially when they see the star that the book of Numbers wrote? How do you suppose they knew that? How do you suppose Simeon there in the temple, whom the Bible calls a righteous and devout man, a man who is looking for the consolation of Israel, a man who was told by the Spirit of God that he could not see death until he saw the Messiah. This man who was looking for Messiah, how do you suppose he knew it was the time frame of Messiah? And how do you know, how do you suppose that on the eighth day when they brought the Messiah in to circumcise him under the law, that he said, behold, I have seen my salvation. And he preaches of this little baby when he's eight days old that he is going to be killed. How do you suppose Anna on that same day in the temple was said to be looking for the redemption of Israel? I'll tell you how. They knew the 70 weeks prophecy of the book of Daniel. Because not only did it pinpoint it to 32 AD, it also, as we will see next time, gives the events that are going to happen after the presentation of Messiah, that he will be cut off and the city will be destroyed. And so I would say to any of my Hebrew friends that may be listening today, if you're looking for a good candidate for the Messiah, Daniel pinpoints the time frame and he tells us that after this 69th week, he'll be cut off, he'll be executed, we'll see that next time, and then the people of the prince to come will destroy and decimate the city of Jerusalem that happens in 70 AD. So you should be looking for a man who came before 70 AD. Many a Jew 
has been converted by studying the 70 weeks prophecy. Some years ago, Leopold Kahn, a Jewish rabbi, had been studying the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel 9, and he realized it. Messiah has already come. And in search for truth, he made his way to New York City. And there in the providence of God, he stumbled on a gospel meeting. And in a few minutes' time, God put it all together. And he thought, it's Yeshua, it's Jesus. He fulfilled all the prophecies, every single one of them. Shortly after that, he bought a little stable, he swept it out, and he began a mission there in the city of New York to reach Jewish people for Christ. Today, it is known as the American Board of Missions to the Jews. Look, what were the first words out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus after his baptism when he began his public ministry? They are given to us in Mark 1.15. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Because the precise time that Daniel the prophet spoke of had come upon Israel. This is a mathematical prophecy that will actually take you to 32 AD to Palm Sunday. Now, let me pause and give some perspective on that calendar and how we come to that date. There are a number of calendars that have been used over the years. The first one pictured here is what we would call a lunar calendar. A lunar calendar is consists of 12 months and 12 moons. And the duration of a lunar month changes because of the uh, oblong orbit of the moon around the sun, no doubt, because we live in a fallen creation. And all of creation is shouting that things are slightly off. God put us on notice there in the Garden of Eden with thorns and thistles and all kinds of problems that have come into the creation. But a lunar month is approximately 29.5 days. So a lunar year is 354.3.67 days. And some people use the lunar calendar. The Muslim world uses the lunar calendar. And they don't make any adjustments. And that's why Ramadan falls at different times of the year. Um, then pictured here, the one we use, is a solar calendar. And of course, you know a solar year is 365.24, uh, two days long. And so we make some adjustments every so often with a, a leap year, so to speak, a leap day. And, uh, but interestingly enough, there's another calendar that the Jewish people use, and it's what we call a lunar solar calendar. And they use it because God gave a reason to use it in the book of Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And God made two great lights. So they took Genesis 1.14 as wisdom and they used a lunar solar calendar. So if you take a, a lunar calendar, and you take the number of days in a lunar year, and you take the number of days in a solar year, and you add the two together, and you divide them by two, you come up with 359.80 days. And just as we have a... Uh, 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 you know, some a leap year, so to speak, every four years. The Jewish people to this day have a leap month of sorts. Now, I believe as I've studied these calendars, and indeed I'm no expert on them, 
It's a science in and of itself. But as I've studied the Gregorian and the Julian calendars, I recognize that the calendar the Jewish people use is far more precise than our own. Look, in the 15th century, they realized we're off 11 days, and they made some huge adjustments. And so how did the Jews account for the days by which they could adjust their calendar? God gave them a reason how to do it. It was based on the ripeness of the wheat and the sighting of the new moon. That's a sermon in and of itself. There's a number of passages in the Torah. But remember, at Passover, they would use barley. So they would go and they would look for the barley to be aviv, to be ripe. And they had to sight the new moon. And when these two factors came together, they knew they were on track. And when they didn't, they would add an intercalary month. But what I want you to see is that in the Jewish mind, they have a 360-day year that on occasion they make adjustments. And so when God speaks historically and prophetically in the Word of God, He uses the 360-day calendar. Let me give you some examples. We just looked at one a few weeks ago when we studied the great flood. If you remember in Genesis chapter 7 and verse 11, God turned the faucets on. When did he do it? In the second month of the 17th day of the month. Remember, he was in that ark for 377 days over a year, and the waters had to recede, but God turned the faucets off. Genesis 8.3 says, 150 days later, and the seventh month of the 17th day of the month. So five months went by from the second month, 17th day of the month, to the seventh month, 17th day of the month, which God terms 150 days. So God is equating a month, five months to be 30 days each. In addition, you have a number of prophetic passages. When we step into the Revelation. We're going to learn in Revelation chapter 11 of two witnesses, two Jewish men who will preach the gospel. The Bible there says for 1,290 days or 42 months. That's, those are 42 30-day months. When you come to Revelation 12 and verse 6, he is going to describe one half of the seven-year tribulation period as 1,260 days. When you come to Revelation chapter 13, the Antichrist, the one that John calls the beast, using the same term that Daniel the prophet does, it says there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And when you put all the passages together, 42 months, 1,260 days, makes 30-day months or 360-day prophetic year. So why is this important? Well, here's the math. It's done for you on the next slide. God says there will be 483 years times 360 days or 173,880 days from the decree to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, which was issued by Artaxerxes on Nisan 1, 445 B.C. And what does that bring you to? It brings you to April 6, 32 A.D., What happened on April the 6th, 32 AD? That is the day that we call Palm Sunday. 
That is the day that the Jews would bring the sheep from Bethlehem into the city through the sheep's gate for the rabbis to inspect all week long to make sure that the Jews used in, the lambs used in sacrifice had no spot or blemish. That was the day when God's lamb entered the city of Jerusalem. And all week long, he's going to be inspected by all these different religious groups. A third of the gospels were given to the last week of Christ's life and not by accident. And so he makes his triumphal entry on that donkey, just as the prophet Zechariah said. Now understand, the ministry of the Lord Jesus began in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Luke records in 3.1. That's A.D. 29. He ministers for over three years, which brings us to Palm Sunday, 32 A.D. And it's on that Sunday when they take their garments off and they take their palms and they spread them before Messiah as he comes through and they shout, Hail him! Him, hail him, hail him. They will cry out Psalm 118. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. But the Pharisees, of course, rebuked Christ and he told him to make the multitude stop saying that. But a few short days later, because he's not the kind of king they want, most of them, instead of saying, hail him, hail him, will now say, nail him, nail him. And of course, after the 69th week, as we will study next time, Messiah will be cut off. He enters on Sunday, and on Friday, he hangs on a cross. And Jesus, knowing what is in their hearts, as he's there on the top of the Mount of Olives as they come across, we read in Luke 19, 42, as he weeps over the city, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. This was their day. This, if they had enough sense to pick up the prophet Daniel, they would have recognized. This is, as he will say in verse 44, he says, you did not recognize the time of your visitation. There are two words for time in Greek. Chronos, we get our word chronology, and the word kairos that denotes a unique time that something special was to happen. This was the precise 173,880th day prophesied in Daniel chapter 9, and for the most part, they missed it because in their self-righteousness, they didn't see the need for a Savior. Now, the liberal scholars don't like the book of Daniel some, some years back, in the early part of the 20th century, said it was written in the 1st or 2nd century A.D. under a pseudonym, Daniel. The Jews, of course, have always believed it was written in the 6th century. But then the Dead Sea Scrolls discovered copies of Daniel. Before that, the oldest copy we had was the Masoretic text in the 9th century or 10th century, but then they found copies going back 200 years before Christ. So they, they couldn't use the dating that they had used prior. But even for the sake of argument, if Daniel 
was written 200 years before Christ, which of course goes against what Jesus says, because Jesus doesn't call him Daniel the historian, but Daniel the prophet. But even if it was written 200 years before Christ, there are so many prophecies we're going to see in the 11th chapter, not to mention this prophecy in and of itself that happens after the fact. And this is why they come up with a new way in which to destroy Daniel. It's not uh, 400, it's, it's not years that are involved, it's days that are involved. Not 490 years, but 490 days. They say, well, obviously those things did not happen. Therefore, Daniel can't be believed. And therefore, the rest of the Bible can't be believed. See, people don't want to come across the Bible. It could be the Word of God. Well, what are the implications on that? They're huge. Genesis tells us how it started. Daniel tells us how it will all end. And people want to deny their origins and they want to deny their ends because they want to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Look, the first time I heard Daniel 9 preached, the first time I studied it, I didn't grasp it all. But I got this much that Daniel had predicted the very day that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem. Friend, people can laugh at us. They can poke fun at this book. But everything it has ever prophesied has come true, and the remaining prophecies will be precisely fulfilled. The first time he came, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But the Bible promises as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. They had missed this, it's possessive, it's genitive. This, your very day, they missed it. And I fear some people listening to me today will miss that this is your very day because this may be the last day in which the Spirit of God will strive with your heart for he will not strive with you forever, and you cannot come to Jesus as Messiah all on your own. It is a sovereign work of Almighty God who opens up a dead heart, who draws people to himself, but you are free to resist that drawing, and there will come a time when God will give you your wish, and you will miss your day, and you will remember this sermon in hell and you will regret it for all of eternity. Listen, that's not God's plan for you. Receive him today, and though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow, but reject him. And under the perfect justice of God, you will pay the debt yourself that will take you an eternity to pay that Christ as an infinite person paid there on Golgotha for you. God wants to forgive you, but the only way he can forgive you is through Mashiach Nagid, the Prince of Israel, and his name is Jesus. To listen again to today's study on the 70 Weeks of Prophecy, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program number DAN13. 
This message is the first of two dealing with the 70 weeks of prophecy of Daniel. So when you call, you may wish to order program DAN14 as well. And for a complete listing of our study resources, call our toll-free number and request your catalog, or just find it online at our website, searchthescriptures.org. Our phone number again, 877-787-7478. Tomorrow we begin the second half of Dr. Brogy's study on the 70 weeks of prophecy of Daniel. Join us then as we search the scriptures.